Good morning. My name is Bill Marshall. Pastor Travis is uh, taking us through a series this month on marriage expectations. Um, well, my marriage did not begin as expected. To be precise, my engagement did not begin as expected. My lovely, lovely wife, Cheryl, and I have been married 32 wonderful years. Uh, now, for those of you who, who know me, I'm a bit of a conservative, a little traditionalist. I know that's shocking to some of you. <laughs> anyway, my expectation going into our engagement was that A, the guy asked the girl, and B, the guy makes it romantic when he asks. So first unmet expectation, Cheryl, my strong, independent, confident California girl, kept asking me to marry her. <laughs> kind of freaked me out, didn't know what to do with that. It's flattering, uh, but I'm supposed to ask her. So about a year and a half into dating, I finally get my act together. I'm going to ask her to marry me, and, and I plan it out. And it's on the pretense that the two of us are going to go out to dinner. We're going to meet her sister and our now brother-in-law uh, for dinner. And on the, on the way, the, the restaurant that I chose, well, you can take a scenic drive to that. So we're going to take her on a scenic drive. We're going to stop at this beautiful overlook over to, over, overlooking Sacramento at sunset. The lights below us. It's, it's romantic, right? It's just the two of us, not the crowded you know, restaurant on bended knee in front of everybody. Yeah, right. So that's where we get the second unmet expectation. I know Cheryl. I love her. She's like her father. Let's get from point A to point B the fastest way possible. Take the fastest route. So she's having none of my idea of let's take the scenic route. And so we wind up on Highway 50, this concrete morass. <laughs> And I'm running out of options. In fact, I've only got one option left. I've only got one exit left before we get to the restaurant. So I take that exit, we pull off, and all that's there is this dirty, dusty gravel parking lot at Nimbus Dam. And, and the name kind of says it all, Nimbus Dam. It is this 1960s, know-nothing, concrete morass of, of a dam. We pull off into this parking lot. We park, I reach over to the glove box, pull out the ring box, and in quite possibly the most unromantic place possible, I ask her to marry me. <laughs> Sometimes, even before marriage, we do not get what we expected. Pastor Travis. Thank you, Bill. And good morning, everybody. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. There are so very many pencils up here. I don't even know why. It's going to clear the way. What is that about? Oh, uh, so uh, like Bill said, we are doing this month a um, a sermon series, just a three week mini series on the topic of marriage. And within it, we're talking a lot about expectations and we're talking about disappointment and how God meets us in the midst of our disappointment. Um, Bill's proposal did not meet expectations. Um, but then again, have you ever taken a step back and have you just thought through the whole process 
of getting married and giving the proposal. Um, comedian Aziz Ansari, he invites us to just kind of imagine a world where marriage is not a thing at all. It's, it's unheard of. And now listen to really what is being asked in the proposal, right? The guy says to the girl, hey, we've been hanging out for a long time. This is really fun. And the girl says, yeah, yeah, right. This is excellent. And the guy says, I want to keep doing that until you're dead. (laughs) I want to keep hanging out until one of us dies. Here, put on this ring so everybody knows we have an arrangement. <laughs> and the wife, the, the, the fiance, is thinking to herself, ah, I don't know, uh, who's that over there? And the guy's saying, that's the priest, I want you to swear before God you're not going to back out of this. And the wife is thinking to herself, ah, this is, this, this is kind of crazy. And the rest of us are listening in and thinking, yeah, this is kind of crazy. A deeply flawed person committing to life to another deeply flawed person in a deeply flawed world. Marriage is nuts, but it can work. It can flourish. In fact, it's part of God's design to make it beautiful. So what we have in the Bible is this book filled with wisdom for marriage. But for this series, we're not concerned just with the five or six specific marriage passages that teach on marriage, but we're trying to ask a little bit more broadly, what does the whole redemption narrative tell us about being a husband or being a wife? Um, Whether you're married, wish you weren't married, widowed, divorced, singled, not even a grown-up yet. This applies everywhere because we're asking one another and we're asking God's word, how does the heart impact relationships? Work, school, church, and then we're given special attention to the relationship of marriage. So if you have your Bibles, open up, if you would, to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter five. The apostle Paul wrote a church Uh, wrote to a church, rather, a few letters. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is page 966 in the Black Bibles. And while you're turning there, let me remind you um, that if sermons are left in the sanctuary, they are fairly useless for us. And so really, we do not want to just leave these sermons, any sermon, any teaching from the Bible, but particularly teaching on marriage. And so like it was mentioned earlier, we're running in parallel to this. Um, Most of our co-ed groups, I think almost all of them, are doing a study called The Meaning of Marriage, which hopefully uh, the two complement one another. And then also, I want to mention something that I just briefly uh, alluded to last week, that beginning next month, for couples, we are going to be running a limited run, uh, nine session marriage enrichment community group that we are calling Reignite. And I am pretty excited about this. We've been working on this for a little while now. It is going to be led by Chris and Kathy Gooley, who, if you do not know them, they are fantastic. They have. Uh, 
they're fairly new members here. Um, they've been attending for a while, but they have years and years of experience walking with the Lord and, apropos for this, teaching on marriage. Um, to maximize the group, we are not going to let the size blow up on this one. We are going to limit the size of the group to try and keep the conversation authentic. Um, we're going to do it right here so it is central um, to everybody, probably in the office building where we have a living room and a kitchen and kind of the, you know, the, the living room feel going on. But if you're looking to sharpen your marriage for the next 10 or 30 or 50 years, I want you to give some prayerful thought and talk to your spouse whether or not this is something that you would do well to commit to. Um, Sign-ups, while there's still space, are going to begin in the connector this Wednesday. Um, And that's all I have to say about that. So that's where we're going. Here's where we are at. Biblically speaking, we said last week that the heart is the causal core of personhood. Um, Our emotions, our hopes and dreams, our will, our motivation. When the Bible uses the term heart, it's talking about all of that. And so last week we were in Luke 6. This week we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to give you two verses, but they're really important verses. You can drop your eyes down to verse 14 and hear now the very word of the Lord. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live, excuse me, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And in that second verse again, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's take a minute here and let's seek the Lord before we go any further. God, we come with all kinds of background in our, in our childhood um, marriages that we witnessed um, varied greatly, and certainly many of us now, um, we come in here with all kinds of varied experiences. Lord, I pray that whether our marriages appear to be rock solid, hanging by a thread, or for many, somewhere in between, God, meet us in grace right now by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So T.S. Mooney, um, if you do not know the name, banker, very godly man, uh, did some amazing work with orphanages and that sort of thing. Uh, He was asked in his 70s, lived I think to his mid-80s, asked in his mid-70s why he had never married his entire life, and he replied with a smile, in my case, it's because the desirable has always been unattainable, and the attainable has always been undesirable. (laughs) And then he added in kind of an endearing, uh, like grandfatherly way, I think I'd rather go through life wanting what I don't have 
than having what I don't want. <laughs> Which I thought was just fantastic. But also, listen, for T.S. Mooney and every other person, single or married, understand, it's important for us to admit, marriage is kind of like the stock market, right? It affects you, whether you are personally invested in it or not. When we use scripture then to address the topic of marriage for these three weeks, it does not pertain, what we're reading here does not pertain only to those who are married or perhaps are just about to become married. This applies, I mean, this stuff strikes at the very essence of our humanity. So we began by last week admitting that the heart is the problem. This morning we drill down a little bit and we ask, okay, what is the problem with the heart? The answer is laid out in verse 15, the clear implication that by nature we live for ourselves. Left to ourselves, we are pretty much about ourselves. And that truth is particularly significant in the relationship we call marriage because we often imagine that we're having marriage problems means the marriage created the problem. Is not true. It's not any more true than when you're on the highway stuck for an hour and a half in, in, in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and after the first 75 or 80 minutes, you begin swearing and pounding the dash and saying, this traffic makes me so angry, as if it's the traffic that's doing it to you. Is not true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I don't know about you, but here's what I like to do. I like to sit in my own living room and think to myself what a lovable bundle of neutrality I really am. Until such time as Sarah comes in and does something which, in my infinite wisdom, I determine crosses the line. And now I have to be, for her good, of course, judge and jury, right? I have to have a good, strong, resolute response to her. And on my darkest days, I actually believe that stuff about myself. And then I read the Bible, and I'm reminded almost none of that is actually true. And so now we ask ourselves, all right, what if... What if this church family and these families began to abandon the idea that our problems are caused outside of us, that our problems are because of our spouse or our kids or our finances, and we began to see our problems as they really are, something that's inside of us, the result of a heart that is endemically selfish. Verse 15, I hope you left it open there in front of you, it means that left to ourselves, we live for ourselves. That's what scripture says, and for those who have ears to hear it, it's what culture says too. In fact, you can, you can literally chart 
down through the years, the marital and the sexual devastation just by listening to music alone. Um, 1970, Johnny Mitchell, she sings that we don't need the legality of marriage. Right on the, the front end of the sexual revolution and all of that, right? 1970, we don't need marriage. My old man, he's a singer in the park. He's a walker in the rain. He's a dancer in the dark. We don't need no piece of paper from the city hall keeping us tied and true. Interestingly, today, uh, as a footnote, the gay community is extremely interested in that piece of paper. That was 1970. Fast forward a decade and a half, and Tina Turner points out, we don't even need love. You must understand Though the touch of your hand makes my pulse react that it's only the thrill of boy meeting girl opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. Would you rather I sing it, people? <laughs> you must try to ignore that it means more than that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> What's love got to do? Got to do with it. What's love but a secondhand emotion? 1970s, 1980s, and then for those of us who are in the college, in college in the mid-90s, you'll remember an absurdly catchy tune by Weezer that openly admits the emptiness of sexual conquest. Spread so thin, I don't know who I am. Monday night, I'm making Denise. Tuesday night, I'm making Charisse. Wednesday night, I'm making Louise. Oh, why can't I be making love come true? I'm tired. So tired. I'm tired of having sex. You don't hardly even need the Bible to recognize the truth here. The culture in which we find ourselves is endemically selfish. It's all about the things that I want. Before you or I choose to sit a little higher in our seat, though, about what we see out there, we best remember that what's out there is also in here because of what's in there. So verse 15 of our text, that those who live might no longer live for them. Selves in, in the context of marriage, we have seen this played out far too many times. Sometimes right here in these pews. You know, I had a suit that once I loved, but now it pleases me not. I used to feel good when I put it on, but now I don't feel good. It's fat where it ought to be thin. It's thin where it ought to be fat. It's pleated where it should be straight. And quite frankly, I think it's time to buy a new suit. And I don't feel real good about her either. She looks a little fat where she should be thin. A little creased where she ought to be smooth. A little frayed where she wasn't before. 
And those of us, we watch that from a distance and we think to ourselves, oh, hey, big guy. You imagine she's thrilled with the mess next to her? You think she woke up and said, oh, it's like George Clooney laying beside me today. You know, in our own country, and it was not so long ago, in our own country, that marriage was understood to be a public institution for the common good. Now it's treated as a private institution for the individual's good. And the individual is endemically selfish because the heart is endemically selfish. Ironically, if you trace it out, this new view of marriage is for me actually places then a crushing burden on the expectations for our marriage and the expectations upon our spouse, expectations which cannot possibly be met. So now we listen to our friends say and post and blog all kinds of crazy, like love shouldn't be so hard. It should come naturally. And I think to myself, this is the stupidest thing I ever... What, what man wants to be a professional baseball player and says, it shouldn't be so hard to hit a fastball? Friends, anything in this life that's worth anything at all is going to be hard. Infatuation is what comes easy, and it burns out quickly, which is why so many of us begin to find ourselves just enduring what we should otherwise be enjoying. Because your heart, okay? Husbands, not hers. Wives, not his. Your heart is endemically selfish and self-absorbed. The human heart, and I took one verse. There's about 150 others I could go to that remind us that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The human heart is fundamentally meistic. You remember... Working through the Ten Commandments. There's a reason we did the Ten Commandments before we did this series, right? Because the Ten Commandments, among other things, they teach us that God designed us to be oriented vertically toward Him, that's Commandments 1 through 4, and oriented horizontally out toward others, that's Commandments 5 through 10. And what sin does is it turns me in on myself. Your marriage problems are not caused by your marriage. As long as sin is inside you, you carry a selfishness that is destructive to human relationship. It's not only confined to damage in a marriage, but perhaps it shows up more clearly there than anywhere else. Because sin wants you to dehumanize your spouse. That's how it works. Sin wants you to ascend the throne in your own sewer of self-justification and determine what you want and what you need and take your own desires, sometimes even good desires, and transform them into really awful demands that we then place on the other. 
Why do we do this? Because we are always at the center of our universe. Right? Everything I've ever experienced, ever, in 40 and a half years, I experienced with me at the very center of it. Everything I ever observed. And so, it means it's very easy for me to be me. You know, I've never woken up and and looked in the mirror in the morning and tried to pep talk myself. Trev, be me today. (laughs) You can do this. Be me. It comes very naturally for me to be me. It's very hard for me to be Sarah. So a moment of honesty. If we could play back a video of your marriage just the last seven days, would we see you being selfish or would we see you being selfless? If we could hit rewind and then play on just the last seven days, maybe the last few weeks of your marriage, what would you see there? I think for many of us in our classrooms, in our offices, and in our church, and certainly in our marriages, we would see a lot of me-ism. Which is why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and us by proxy these two verses here. Because I want you to understand, taken rightly, there is no condemnation here. There is a world of hope. If you just follow along with me one more time, at verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This passage is filled with hope. You understand that these verses are declaring that, that meism, okay, the, the endemically selfish heart, is precisely why Jesus died. It's what he died for. It's what he died to solve. Which means every marriage in this room, there is hope. (laughs) Whatever you carried with you in here today, no matter what rubble is strewn about behind you, this promise here means that there is hope except for a very few extreme cases, it is not so much, my friends, that you need to be rescued from your spouse. It is that Jesus can rescue you from you. Church, I'm standing before you not as a marital expert, but as a case study that that my unrighteousness can be made righteous by Christ's righteousness credited to me. God transforms unrighteous people. 
Has marriage failed to meet your expectations? Has your marriage or your spouse disappointed you? The ointment to disappointment is an appointment with grace. <laughs> the written across the Christian's heart is new creation. A made new. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That I've been saved from the penalty of sin. That I'm being saved from the power of sin. And by God's grace, one day I'm going to be saved from the very presence of sin. This is the promise upon the Christian. So just imagine for a moment. Imagine a marriage where you spent your time not crushing your spouse with expectations, with desires turned into demands. But imagine a marriage where you spent the bulk of your time discovering your spouse's desires and aiming to fulfill them in the most beautiful and godly ways possible. You know, for those of us who are married here today, I think that we can say that marriage is a primary way Maybe the primary way that we live on mission in an unbelieving world. That married Christians, you understand, we're, we're street evangelists, right? We're, we're striving to live out our faith in a world where doors get slammed and people get angry. Next Sunday, Lord willing, to finish up, I want to pivot to some very practical steps that we can take to move our marriages toward a place away from unmet expectation and toward grace and forgiveness and wholeness. But for now, I didn't want to do that today because I think we got to start here. Confessing to God. Maybe taking a week to confess to our spouse our endemic selfishness and then calling upon Christ to transform that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Do you want a marriage? It's not just adequate, but it's abundant. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.